Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey there, leaders, and welcome back to another episode of Leaders of B2B. Today, super excited to have Lloyd Lobo on the show of Boast.ai. Uh, Lloyd, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, same here as well. Um, I'm really excited to to dive in, understand your journey here. Uh, we were just chatting before this, and I think we have some interesting COVID things to discuss as well as business things here. So, But for everyone in the audience, before we maybe dive into some of that, let's kind of maybe give a quick 90-second you know, overview of, of what is Boast.ai and what are you guys doing? Definitely. So globally, over $200 billion is given in R&D tax credits and innovation incentives to fund businesses. Between U.S. and Canada, that amount is like $25 billion or so that's given every year. But there's an immense amount of red tape around the process. It takes a long time to go through the process because it's cumbersome. Usually what happens is you apply for these R&D tax credits with your taxes. So that means you go through a year of product development costs. And then at the end of the year, you have to figure out what work you did that meets this narrow criteria, pull together the documentation, map it to your payroll, time track who worked on those projects. So basically, you got to identify projects, figure out which ones qualify, map all the people that worked on those projects along with their time, and then map it to payroll. It's a, it's a, it's a very laborious exercise. So the, the issue is over $25 billion between U.S. and Canada given in already tax credits every year. It's a cumbersome process. It's prone to frustrating audits because if the IRS or the Canadian government audits you, they're like, prove me that this work you did is not vaporware and it meets this narrow criteria. And the IRS last year published very strict audit guidelines. Uh, they updated it. And then the last thing is it takes 16 months to get the money because you incur a year of expenses then you file it with your taxes, and then you got to wait for the government to process it. And what Boast AI does is we're on a mission to democratize R&D incentives, R&D tax credits, government incentives, so companies can fuel their growth while preserving equity and, and avoiding this red tape, right? So we integrate with the company's technical stack and their financial stack to automatically, real-time through the year, identify what work qualifies, who spent how much time on it, map it to payroll, so that work is done. The audit trail is there and, and you fly through a government audit. And the third thing what we're doing is we front load you the cash so you don't have to wait to get it from the government. So one word summary is we help you get more money faster for less time at risk. That's pretty interesting. And I, and I feel like there's there's multiple angles that you guys have gone on with the business model here where it sounds like it's a just the, the tax credits and the whole almost like service of actually um, doing that, which I, I literally, I've spoken to consultants that this is all they do. 
Uh, and so you guys have taken something that literally a full-time consultant was once you know, doing and have turned this into kind of a software solution. But then I think what's also really interesting in what you guys have done is it's also you guys have this um, financing side of it as well, where there's almost this kind of uh, you guys have gotten into this, I guess, like financial, almost like lending kind of yeah. aspect to it as well, which I feel like adds a whole nother prong to your, to your business model. Definitely, because businesses, you know, what do businesses want? They just want cash flow to fuel their growth, right? R&D credits is just a means to get that cash flow. Government grants is a means to get that cash flow. Venture capital is a means to get that cash flow. Debt is a means to get that cash flow. So people, businesses just want to improve the cash flow so they can invest in the business sooner. Now, it's just the surrounding red tape around some of these government programs like federal credits, state R&D credits. It's just you have to wait to file it with your taxes and then the government processes. There's just there's just a lot of red tape. One, figuring out if you qualify or not. Two, preparing the documentation. Three, potentially dealing with an audit. And four, waiting for all this processing. It's just a significant amount of red tape. And we've built a way to underwrite that, to understand it on a proactive, real-time basis. So we say, okay, you know what? If you use us, I have a good sense of your technical and financial um, uh, workings in your company so I can I can make that money available to you sooner. At the end of the day, every business owner just wants to improve cash flow. Like the all these other things like VC, like I said, debt, banks, grants, tax credits, they're just a means to improve cash flow. So if you can reduce the red tape and and give them a faster access to cash flow, I think I think you'll build a good business here. Right. And, and, and the debt space is also heating up. A lot of folks like Pipe, like ClearBank, that are doing debt in other sort of realms like MRR financing or financing or ad spend, that sort of thing. Why, why are they coming up? There's a lot of lending companies. Everyone is essentially becoming, adding some aspect of lending, like Stripe does that because they understand that the businesses they serve need cash flow. Yeah, that's um, yeah, just super interesting or are fascinating to kind of hear where you've built there. And I'm, I'm curious, I guess, now to understand like, how did how did you get into this? How did you stumble on this opportunity and land here? Or like maybe what's the backstory of how this business came to be? Yeah, definitely. So my co-founder and I are best friends from, from university days. Like we've known each other since we were 18. And uh, after engineering, he got into like Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, building software there. Then he left and did a startup that didn't work out and he felt he needed to study accounting right because he he needed to understand accounting and, and finance principles which he did he went to school and studied accounting and long story short his combination of computer engineering and uh, and accounting background got him a job with large consulting firms and big four accounting firms to manage R&D tax credits and after engineering i pretty much worked at a number of tech startups uh, in product and and growth and so he called me and he said, man, the space is broken and we need to do build a business that fixes it. Like he outlined, he's like, it's a cumbersome process because what happens is a company finishes their tax year and then their accountant or consultant comes in and says to the CTO or the head of engineering or the CEO, tell me what you did in R&D that meets this narrow criteria over the last year. Tell me what you did in R&D last year that meets this narrow criteria. Like you can't remember what you did last week let alone last whole year. And then they have this narrow criteria is like, what was the technological uncertainty you were trying to overcome that couldn't resolve, couldn't be resolved with publicly available information? 
and uh, and what were the iterations you did to get to the end outcome it's like very very technical right now a lot of people what they do is they skirt the compliance around it and they don't dive into the technology and and, and they're just setting up their clients for an audit failure few years down the road because the IRS doesn't audit immediately they'll audit like three four years down the road kind of thing but like yeah there you have there's this compliance things which ties to you're building new technology products materials processes or improving them and along the way you're faced with technological uncertainties or challenges that you couldn't resolve with publicly available information meaning you couldn't google search the answer there was no white paper there's no open API, there's no open code. So you had to come up with your own solution and go through an iterative process to get to the end outcome. Success or failure doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the competitor across the street's doing it, they're not, that information is not publicly available to you. It doesn't matter if you have, if somebody sells this solution, but if you can't afford it, that means it's not publicly available to you. But like, you gotta prove this in an audit, right? Like why this, this challenge that you were trying to overcome and you claimed, wasn't like a publicly easily solvable solution. And so when an accountants go to engineers and ask these questions, it's already friction because they're not coming from a technical standpoint, right? And then, so the CTO has to go through all their documentation, prepare it, go through all this headache. Then the second step is if this company gets audited, then the government wants to know, like, show me the R&D study, show me all your documentation. Another expensive headache with the accounting firms who charge by the hour, right? And 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 it works perfectly for accounting models because they go in and they start billing by the hour. And because they don't understand technology, they will like do interviews for like 10, 15, 20, 30 hours with your company's engineering team, right? Hourly billing. Yeah. And then if they <laughs> audit, it racks it up. And then the last thing which they can't solve is literally then it you file it with the government and then there's that processing that takes, especially if you're a small business, then you can use the R&D credits to offset your payroll taxes in the US. In Canada, you get a cashback, but that payroll offset process or the cashback in Canada, it just takes many months. So we're saying like, hey, this is just immense amount of red tape just to chase this, this one government grant and look at the realm of... Uh, government uh, incentives in the U.S. If you look at the whole credits and incentive space between U.S. and Canada, it's over like 300 billion, right? So if everything has red tape like this, it's like people just don't want to apply. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'd rather bang my head to 10 VCs and get the money. So we're like, okay, how do we democratize access to this? So it's not only in the realm of the Amazons of the world. Like Amazon doesn't pay any taxes, but it doesn't mean they're not profitable. It's just they get a ton of credits and incentives um, that that offsets it for them, right? But they have very expensive lawyers, big four accounting firms, in-house external teams. But like, how do you bring that to this average small business? So it's like, I can do it without any pain. I don't have to worry about getting audited three years down the road and get caught with my pants down. And I get the money sooner so it improves my business's cash flow. I love that. And, and so I'm curious with your business, I mean, how much of this is technology versus, say, um, kind of humans in the background kind of guiding the process with maybe kind of like a technology front end that the client is seeing? I guess, where, where does that kind of line sit there for you guys? Yeah, so, uh, you know, building a lot of automation, uh, customers don't want to know how the sausage is made is what I've experienced, right? Um, they want to check. Customers pay for an outcome. And previously, 
I've worked at a number of startups. Um, Alex and I co-founded a, a AI for customer service product called Automatically in 2013. We ran it through 2015 and we failed. And we realized there that customers don't want a chatbot on their website. They want faster responses. So if you're surfacing gibberish, they don't care like you're an AI company. Just build a decision tree and give it to them. So it's like if else, if else, rather than trying to do fancy things that, you know, Customers would rather have an outcome 100% of the time than have a fancy widget that works 70% of the time. That is a great nugget. <laughs> yeah, and, and what is what good is like your solution if you're skirting compliance, like say on the R&D credit side, and you look at somebody's payroll and say, oh, you know what, they're an engineer, let's claim 100% of their time. Uh, and then the company gets audited three years down the road and they're caught with their pants down, right? So it's like customers want an outcome Whatever industry you're in, I, I worked on another product, uh, Speakeasy, was funded by Bessemer, and Bessemer Ventures and Salesforce and Twilio. And there it was, uh, it was an intelligent calling tool for salespeople. So before the call, it prepares you, um, preps you for the call. During the call, it tells you what to say. After the call, it up, automatically updates your CRM and generates the next set of action items. This is magic, right? Like it's like basically my framework of product development is like this jobs to be done by Clayton Christensen, right? Like it's like customers want an outcome, figure out how they're getting those, that outcome today, figure out all the tasks they need to do to get to that outcome, then see what the delighted state looks like. Like, can you significantly cut all the tasks and get them straight to the outcome, right? And, and so uh, Speakeasy also failed in a way because one, you know, we weren't focused on one kind of customer. When we launched this calling tool, we launched it as an app uh, in the app store and we had like 10, 15,000 people download it. And we're like, oh, vanity metrics, so many users. Well, when we profiled the users, none of them were salespeople. They were like butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, right? They were like... Folks like Bernie Sanders team was using it for election campaigning. And that's when you realize like the way to build a sizable customer, a, a company in the beginning is at least till you're 10, 20 million. And sometimes even till you're hundred million in revenue is to deliver one kind of value outcome to one kind of customer coming through one kind of channel. Focus gives you clarity that, Otherwise, you wouldn't get, right? Like when you're focused, because now you know, okay, I want to service salespeople. Uh, okay, so even let's take it one one step uh, deeper. Where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? So is it salespeople who work for CPG companies in large enterprises or is it salespeople who work at B2B SaaS companies? They have a, they have, they have a network that they congregate in. They have, a, they have blogs that they read. And so if you really focus on that one customer, you can dominate the sphere. So like giving you an example at Boast, our mission is to help innovative companies become successful. And, uh, and we do that through our product by democratizing access to billions in R&D credits. But we know our mission is to, to make innovative companies successful. We, we had that mission because we'd been failed founders. So to take that mission further, we started a nonprofit community with, uh, with our friends at Launch Academy. It's called Traction. Traction today has almost 100,000 subscribers. We do two webinars a week. We do monthly dinners now that's halted. Uh, in monthly dinners in different cities, we do a quarterly founder-funder matchmaking event, and we do an annual conference. And all the major CEOs from like Twilio uh, to, uh, to Zendesk to uh, Uber's previous CEO have been to our events. And, and that's, a, that's a phenomenal thing. And all profits are donated into the community. And so we honed in on what our customer, who's our ideal customer. 
what is the outcome they want? They want to fuel their growth. They want to grow. So yes, you serve that to your product, but we built a community to help take that mission further. And my fundamental belief is that relationships transcend companies uh, and your conviction and passion also transcends companies. So if you build a community, your product or service has a lower chance of becoming a commodity, right? People buy from people. And if you help your customers succeed beyond your product or service, you'll never be a commodity. You'll always have a business. Yeah, that's super fascinating. So I want to dive into this. So it sounds like you guys started Traction Conference almost as a way, it's its own valuable thing in itself, but it sounds like you guys also built this in a way as like a marketing channel or just, I guess, community channel for um, Boast. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so when we started, you know what? I would say if you do anything with the transaction in mind, passion and relationships are much greater than transaction. If you do anything with, with the transactional value of it in mind, you will not stick with it. The first roadblock hits, you're shaky. The second roadblock hits, you're one leg out the door. And, and the third major roadblock hits, you're gone, right? So what, what the, and there's way better, faster ways to get instant gratification in terms of sales and growth than building a community. It's a longstanding thing. So when we started, we, we, I was living in San Francisco. My co-founder was uh, living in Calgary, Canada at the time. So I was shuttling back and forth and we we're just lonely as two founders and like we'd had failed outings before. So we started like doing pizza nights, inviting speakers and like doing pizza nights and more every month sort of thing. We said, okay, it'll get our name out there. So it'll work from a marketing perspective, but we'll also learn. And so those pizza nights uh, that we do evolved into um, a conference that wasn't called Traction at the time. And we had all the big name speakers. We had LinkedIn's chief growth officer. We had Twilio CEO, uh, Red Hat and VMware CEOs. Um, and, and the person we had partnered with on that conference, after the conference, he locked us out of our accounts. And he said, I'm this conference is rebranding to something else. And he, bl he blasted our whole list. And, and he took off with all the profits. And we we're like, oh man, we should have never done this. Like, this is just bad. So we had to go through like a lawsuit, we, which we won, which we settled on. And then we rebranded uh, that to Traction, partnered with a nonprofit launch academy. And today, you know, since since that incident in 2014-15 to today, Traction's grown to hundreds of events. Everybody knows Traction. It's one of the leading sort of communities. So what I'm saying there is if you treat things like a transaction, you know, if we treated the community like a transaction, when that first incident happened, we would have never done events again. But we pushed forward and the first traction conference we did, like we were bummed, we were dejected, but we were like, okay, let's reset we started cold emailing our list and we were like, hey, do you want to come speak? And a bunch of awesome speakers confirmed. So the first conference after that, that we rebranded as Traction, we had like Postmates CEO, Marketo CEO, all these awesome guys like confirm. And we had more speakers than, than, we, than we, you know, you reach out to 100, like, you know, 50, 60 people. And if like 30 of them confirm, how are you going to fit them in a day? And we didn't even have a venue. So over the weekend, we built the website, we put an Eventbrite widget, we, we blasted it to our community, $50,000 in tickets were sold. And then my uh, my partners were like, hey, I think we should get a venue. So we couldn't find a venue on that short notice. So we we did we booked a giant EDM hall and there was like a stripper pole that we had to hide. The, the floor capacity, the, the floor capacity was 250 people. 
and we had 500 people show up so we had to like have the lounges in the in this EDM hall and standing room and then there were so many speakers that we ended up making it rapid fire talks like 15 minutes actionable takeaways boom 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 right and 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 to control that we had a smoke machine in the back and so every time somebody hit 15 minutes we hit the smoke machine so they get startled and then the audience starts clapping right and and because there were so many talks we, the last talk ended up being at six o'clock. Imagine you're drinking from a fire hose from like 9 a.m. to like uh, 6 p.m. And then at the last talk, it was uh, the Ben Rubin, the founder of Meerkat. He went on stage with, uh, and it was during happy hour. So it's already loud. People are drinking. And he goes up stage with TechCrunch, uh, Frederick from TechCrunch. And as soon as they're interviewing, he's starting the interview, the smoke starts going off. And Frederick's like, we just went on stage. Why is Lloyd releasing the smoke? It can't be that rapid fire. What had happened was the smoke machine in the back ran out of water and the drapes caught on fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had to throw water. And, and then that's what I'm saying. That, that was, that, that's the kind of level of bootstrapness we did. And if you don't have passion for your customer, and you're treating it like a transaction, you will not do those things, right? So we did whatever it could to succeed because you just like really, really believed in the mission. Like, you know, you uh, they, they will steal from you, they will take your ideas, but they'll never take your passion away. So that's what I say. So if you're just doing it for like, a, I need to like get sales, then, you know, do cold calling or run ads or like, you know, go to people's houses, like do anything that gets you that deal faster because community building takes a very, very long time. Nice. I love that. And that's, it's a phenomenal way to look at it. And it's, it's just so cool to see, I guess, the path of a journey there. And it's so true about the, the passion side, because if you're not enjoying it, then you're just not going to, someone would just give up. Like you end up in a lawsuit over a conference. Most people would have thrown in the towel, but you guys kept going. And I think that that's where the, the passion uh, drives quite a bit there. One thing I'm curious about for you is, I guess, you know, with this, with your role where you've got this conference, uh, you've got Boast, um, everything you guys are doing, what does your role look like these days? Like, what do you actually do on a database day basis? Because it sounds like, you know, you guys have been in this for nine years, you know, how, I imagine that's evolved, but maybe, yeah, what does that look like? Oh, man, like, you know, I'm, my title is, is co-founder and president. My co-founder, uh, Alex, he's CEO and I I feel like I've had the most fun role at Boast. And I say that because I've always done new things, get it to a point where somebody else can take it over and then move on, right? That's been, that's been the thing. So initially it was getting customers and figuring out sales process 1.0. Uh, and it was building, but one thing in my role that's been very consistent, which ties to my superpower, everyone has a superpower. My superpower is relationships. Like for me, my personal philosophy in life is it's not the destination, it's not the journey, it's the companions that matter. You might be on a shitty journey on the way to hell, but what does it matter if you're with a bunch of awesome friends and you're singing along the way, right? Like there's no I other way to go. Mantra. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been my personal philosophy for decades. And um uh, and and so, you know, like I almost I dropped out of high school in the sense like I didn't do my high school exams. So I didn't even drop out. Like I don't have a high school diploma, but I somehow got into engineering and uh, great story there too. Like I, uh, I, I grew up in Kuwait and there was some political unrest. So when I, when I came uh, to North America, I applied to university and I said, Hey, I don't have transcripts. There's political unrest going. I, so they made me do the, the math and the sciences test, which I did. 
and then they followed up for one semester, but then they stopped after. And uh, and so <laughs> I graduated engineering without a high school diploma. But what I'm saying is like, you know, that's the journey that matters. You're having fun with people. Uh, the, and it doesn't matter what the destination is because people always say, right, it's not the destination, it's the journey. I think it's neither. I think it's, it's, the, it's the people that you have fun with. So my role has evolved a lot. The consistent thing has been the community aspect because my, I feel my superpower is building relationships. Um, but the thing that's been, two things been consistent is like do new things, get it to a point of scale and hand it off. So in the early days, I built the first sales process then um, I went off over to launch new markets. Like I helped launch uh, our, our US operations. I helped launch uh, the Toronto operations. Then it went off to people who are like better at it. Then I took over products and partnerships. So like it's a variety of things. Right now I'm focused on product, uh, on a new product line and, uh, and partnerships. Basically I like doing new things. It keeps me excited, right? That's awesome. I love that. And that's, uh, I mean, that's the way to go on it. I think I, I'm a similar boat where I think a lot of CEOs or entrepreneurs, like you're the go build it and then get it off my plate. Whenever something becomes repetitive, like I just want to like throw in the towel. And so I'm, I think I'm in that similar boat as you were. It's just, you know, I think, I think that's the fun skill of an entrepreneur is just to, to build things, hand them off to others and then just kind of keep going through it. So love that approach. Awesome. And so I guess, you know, for you with where you're going with this journey, I mean, um, what is the plan or the vision that you guys have, I guess, both for Traction Conference and and for Boast? Yeah, definitely. So the vision for Boast is we want to, like I said, democratize access to R&D credits, innovation incentives, and non-diluted capital to fuel the growth of companies so they can like have cash flow without worrying about this red tape and and diluting themselves out like they can really grow um and so everything we'll do is going to be tied to that mission i think i think we'll build a multi hundred million revenue company over the next few years we're well on the path to doing that becoming a multi-million dollar company uh and i think not i think i'm confident along the way traction will also grow to a massive, massive community where people are engaging with each other. What makes me super happy is I get emails all the time saying, oh, this content added so much value to my life or or things like you've built such a great community that I just want to work with you guys because you know, you're know you supporting community and you're not profiting from it. We like the people over profits mindset. We raised so much money, but we've not even used a penny from that for our operations because we've been, we've been very profitable. So like that, uh, and, and so despite that, We've like had a big focus on people. And so this community aspect is going to go. And community has been a big part of our growth. Everyone from our investors to our partners to the media people, we all know through the community. Like I didn't have to go and need to raise capital. The people in the community knew us and they're like, hey, this is an interesting business. We had lots of inbound. And so that is uh, the reality of the situation. And I go and say that is like, if you build a great community, your chances of becoming a commodity are very less, right? Like focus on the relationships. If you, if you, if you enable the success of other people, you will become successful. So I see that like traction being a big part of it, the community growing. If we help our community become successful, we will succeed as a business. Yeah, I love that. And um, before we wrap, I want to take a, a right turn here to a different topic that you kind of teased at the beginning here. But um, I'm very curious to hear you. Sounds like you had a pretty crazy story um, running with COVID. And um, I'm curious, yeah, maybe to understand, uh, hear a bit more about that because I haven't heard anyone, I've never talked to anyone who's actually had such a uh, 
dangerous encounter with COVID. Um, and I'm also curious to hear maybe that how that has changed your perspective on, say, life or business as well. Definitely. So, you know, one of the things I neglected a lot and as founders they do is you take for granted the people who are closest to you. And in a way, when you bootstrap a company, that becomes your first baby. So I, I spent a lot of time like at work and like less with family to a point where I think my 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 daughter, who's seven, she's not as close to me. And so when my younger, uh, my two-year-old, she was born, I said, I'll spend lots of time with her. So that doesn't happen, right? My older was born around the time where I was doing multiple startups. And then COVID hit last year and we doubled down on everything, like do more with less, like, you know, let's make sure you grow, like, you know, kind of stresses the precondition for growth. And I sort of neglected uh, the family during that time. And then there was always this, this fundraise came along and the fundraise takes a lot out of you. Not that like, it's not as easy as, oh, you, you agreed on a term sheet and they fund you. There's a lot of due diligence that goes. So I got distracted and I kept telling my family, we'll celebrate when this closes, when the when the check hits the bank, I think it's a great milestone and and all that. And that happened around the holidays. And then I got COVID and my whole family got COVID. And so the celebrations halted. My whole family was fine in seven to 10 days. But like by Jan 2nd, I woke up unable to breathe. Uh, my oxygen levels were dropping. My wife's a doctor. So she has the pulse, ox, pulse oximeter to check. So she's like, hey, your oxygen levels are dropping significantly. You rushed me to the hospital. They x-rayed me and said, you got pneumonia. Your, your lungs are not visible in the x-ray. And I was like genuinely not able to breathe. So they put me on oxygen support uh, and meds via IV. And there were like, a couple of days in there where I felt I was going to die. And the other thing is, although my wife's a doctor, they didn't let her visit me in the hospital. So basically, my wife said, let's keep Zoom on 24-7. And my parents are at my house, my kids... And what happens, what goes through your mind when like you can't breathe, you're coughing up blood uh, and you're on this, this nasal, uh, you know, oxygen cannula and, um, and, and, and the, the zoom is on when you, when you hear your wife saying that the doctors come and say, Hey, you can't shut the laptop. Your wife's asked for the lab for the zoom to be on 24 seven. You freak out. You're like, my wife's a doctor and she thinks I'm going to die. That's why the zoom has to be on 24 seven. So I was freaking out. There were the first couple nights. I just didn't sleep. I just sat up straight and I'm like, I'm not going to sleep. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they need the zoom on. And I genuinely felt like the pain, I've never experienced pain or suffering like that, like physically before. Uh, but luckily, you know, if you read, I, I made a post about it when I when I got out and people were commenting saying the collective good you've done for the community, it's all the prayers that got you through it. Like, we're not going to let you go. And that, that makes, that goes back to my point is it's not the de uh, destination, it's not the journey, it's the companions that matter, right? And so, like I got through it, it was it was painful. But one thing I realized, which which I cried a lot in the hospital, is like, man, if I could go back in time, I would just spend more time with the family. I would spend more time with the kids, um, and that was a realization that uh, balance is a very very important thing. And it's not about like you know more sort of people and companies I guess die of indigestion than starvation. So don't try to do it all at once at the end because you may not get that shot to like do the grand finale but what you can do is appreciate a little every day like stop and smell the roses and you can do that a little better a little more every day because compound interest right yeah that's an incredible story that is uh very impactful so i appreciate you you sharing something like that as i think that that gives perspective and it's it's something here where it's like you hear people 
say that kind of stuff or, you know, hear that in like movies, but it's really interesting to hear someone who's just like, you've just been through that in the past few months here, um, that near death experience. So that's, that's pretty incredible story to hear. So I appreciate you sharing. Cool. Awesome. Great. Well, um, as we wrap up here, one of the last questions I always like to hit on is, you know, if you could go back, um, five years, five, 10 years, you know, maybe this is kind of what we just hit on, but you know, what advice would you give your younger self in your, your entrepreneurial journey? I think uh, the key advice I would share is balance, right? Uh, balance is a very, very important thing. Uh, spend time with family, stop and smell the roses, do a little bit better every day. That's the advice I would give because uh, it's not the money in your bank account. It's the people around your tombstone that matter. And I've like sort of experienced that with everyone around the Zoom. But um, But more importantly, I think if you have the same passion for your work at home and you figure a way to balance it, I think that would be good. I preach that a lot to all our team members, but sometimes, you know, you forget to practice what you preach because it's like as a, as a co-founder, you eat last, you sleep last, right? And, uh, and uh, I think the fundamental thing is if you don't take care of yourself personally, you will burn out. And, and to build a long-term, enduring, sustainable company it's important that founders don't burn out. Some of the biggest outcomes are led by founders. You look at companies from Shopify to Twilio, to Zoom, to Slack, they're all founder-led companies. So it's very important that the founders don't burn out. And like, uh, you know, you try to do better little by little every day. And you, you try to make sure that you are not the roadblock for your business. So try to fill in your gaps. Your goal is to like, how do I, how do I offload? How do I offload? Because that is going to be a big step, right, to to you having personal time and peace. And I think I realized that way too soon. It had to take a COVID and a stressful uh, situation there, plus a fundraise for me to realize that, hey, I'm the bottleneck here. So I got to, like, replace my role, like, bit by bit kind of thing. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Um, I appreciate this, Lloyd. Any other final words of wisdom here as we wrap up? Ah, the final wisdom is uh, from a business perspective, focus on your customer. So fall in love with the problem your customer is facing and have conviction about your customer and, and make them successful and you'll build a successful company. Uh, focus on that outcome. On the personal side, um, if you're healthy personally, uh, you will be healthy professionally and you'll go for the long haul it's not about like trying to trying to life and business is a marathon it's not a sprint that's that's what i'd say i so love it great well um if anyone wants to go find out more about you about boast about traction online what are the the best places to go online yeah, so boast, B-O-A-S-T dot A-I, um, check it out. And uh, you can go to boast.ai forward slash events for our events, or you can go to tractionconf, uh, T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N-C-O-N-F dot I-O. So boast.ai or tractionconf dot I-O. And then feel free to add me on LinkedIn, double L-O-Y-E-D. I have an E in that Lloyd uh, Lobo uh, on LinkedIn, and I'll add you back. Just just drop me a note, though. Don't blind add me because there's like, you know, you never know who's trying to add you. So just say, hey, I I, I, I listened to you on uh, Jake's show, and uh, I'd love to get connected, and I'll definitely add you. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Lloyd. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. 
You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.